Some things go best in a certain order, like the BLT, the bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. The name of the sandwich implies the order in which you should construct the sandwich. First the bacon, then the lettuce, then the tomato. I never mess with it, and neither should you. Getting dressed also tends to go best in a certain order. There's a few things you can be creative about, but if you try to put your socks on after your shoes, it's pretty weird. Sermons also tend to go with a certain order. It's called the three-point sermon outline, and the way it is constructed is this. First, you have the key or anchor scripture at the top of your message. It reinforces the big idea that you're trying to communicate. After that, you'll have three points, three additional supplemental ideas to reinforce the main idea. There's usually application elements, and there is additional scripture to help reinforce that big idea. That's how sermons are typically constructed. Today, as I try to answer the question of how we trust God with our life, I'm not going to use the typical sermon outline. In fact, I'm going to go with the reverse. And I'm not doing it to be cute or clever. I'm not trying to be like a Christopher Nolan movie that messes with the timeline. I'm doing it because as God is teaching me how I can more fully trust him with my life, he's been teaching me in a certain order. And so if I've been learning in that order, it makes sense that I would try to communicate in that order. So today we're going to talk about how we trust God with our life. And this question isn't about salvation. It's not about eternity or the future. That's an important question. But we're talking about how to trust God with our life for today and for tomorrow. We want to talk about how to trust God with our life more than we trust ourselves with our life and the tension that we feel with God and surrendering to his plans. Before I go any further, though, let me introduce myself. My name is Ben Lee. My wife, Karine, and I have been a part of Central for 26 years. We have raised our family here. This is our church home. We love Central. I'm not on staff, but it's always a tremendous privilege whenever Pastor Jeff gives me the opportunity to share with you a little bit about what God is teaching me. Will you pray with me? God, we know that your plans for our lives are better than our own plans, but we have a hard time trusting. I pray today, God, that we would learn just a little bit more so that we can take a few steps further in the direction of trusting you with our life. Amen. Every warning sign has a backstory. If you see a warning sign out in nature telling you not to do something, you can assume that somebody in that spot did something and bad things happened. And now the sign maker is wanting to make sure that the rest of us don't make the same mistake as somebody that has been in that spot in the past. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's a warning sign. It says, do not mow, and it's sitting a bunch above a bunch of landscaping rocks. You're a pretty smart crowd. I'm guessing most of you know that lawnmowers work best on grass and they shouldn't go on rocks. But clearly, somebody sometime drove the mower over the rocks and it didn't end well. And so now there's a sign there for the rest of time making sure that nobody makes that mistake again. Every warning has a backstory. Here's another one. 
Again, you're a smart crowd. You know what to do when you see a stop sign. But clearly at this intersection, people weren't doing what was expected and bad things happened. And so the sign maker wanted to make sure everyone knows what to do when they get to that spot. So they reinforced the stop sign with a reminder of what the sign is. And I don't even want to guess what the backstory is for that warning sign. Every warning sign has a backstory, and every scripture has a backstory as well, particularly the wisdom verses and the Proverbs. See, God knows the nature of our hearts, and he's watched people throughout history make the same mistakes over and over again. And he has a plan for our, how our lives are best lived, but he's seen the backstory, and he wants us to do differently, so scripture is there to help us learn a better life. For example, throughout the Old Testament, God says over and over, do not fear. See, God has watched humanity. He knows that the condition of the human heart is such that when we face challenges or uncertainty, we tend to be fearful. And God also knows that fear is not a helpful emotion in those situations. If it was, God would say, have all the fear you want. It's going to serve you well. But God knows fear won't serve us well. And so he says, do not Fear, he wants us to live differently. Here's another one, and this one is directly connected to our topic for today. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the backstory of this verse is God knows that we like to lean on our own understanding, that we trust our understanding more than we trust God's plan for our life. And God knows that our understanding is just simply not as good. As his. And he's seen humanity trust themselves time and time again, and he has a better plan, and he wants us to trust him. See, it's not about if we trust, it's about who we trust. Are we going to trust ourselves, or are we going to trust God? And so we see the verses, we understand the warning, so why do we struggle? We struggle because we like to be in control, and we don't like feeling out of control. When you're a kid, you can't wait to grow up because you think adults are in full control of their lives. And then kids become adults and they realize that they don't have control over everything they thought they might. Adults have control over some things, though. For example, nobody can make me eat broccoli or cauliflower ever again. I am in control of that. But so much of our lives are still out of our control. And we crave independence and we don't like people telling us what to do. I don't like attending fitness classes because I don't like the fitness instructor telling me what to do. I like to work out, but if an instructor tells me to do five more reps or 10 more seconds, there's something in my heart that wants to stop right then. <laughs> and yeah, that's probably not true for you and fitness instructors, but there are areas of your life where you have a resistance to somebody being in control of you. We wish that we could control our jobs more fully. We wish we had more control of our financial stability. We want to control our health more. We wish we had more control over our kids and who they hang out with and the decisions that they make. We wish we could decide all our own outcomes. We don't like to wait. We believe that we know what's best. We don't want the uncertainty or the pain that comes from trusting and waiting on others, even if that means trusting or waiting on God. Control seems like the perfect solution to uncertainty. If only I could control this situation, then it would be good for me. 
God wants to be intimately involved in our lives. He has a plan for each of us, and he believes that our lives are best lived when we surrender to his plans, and that bumps right up against our desire to be in charge. We can sing about surrender. We did that just a little bit ago. We talked about laying our whole life down, how our whole life is for you, God. God, we surrender to your plans for our life. And in those moments when we're singing those songs, we believe that we can trust God to work out everything in our life for good. And then the song ends and we head out and we face challenges and uncertainties and things we weren't expecting. And what we do in those moments then reveals where we place our trust. Do you love God but have your own wonderful plan for your life? Are your prayers essentially my will be done instead of thy will be done? Do you find yourself asking God to bless your plans for your life rather than asking him to reveal his plans for your life? One of my favorite questions to ask people is what is God teaching you right now? And when I've asked that question to dozens of people in 2023, the answers overwhelmingly, more than 90%, have centered around this very question. People are saying, I need to learn that I can trust God more. I need to wait on God's timing. I need to surrender to God's plan for my life. And so I'm convinced this isn't just a me problem. I think it's a we problem. I think this is a struggle for all of us, and it's been a struggle for humanity for all of time. If you look through scripture, you can see countless examples of people who struggled to submit to God's plan for their life. And I want to highlight three of those examples because I think those reflect some of the ways that we struggle to surrender to God. So the first example is sometimes we don't seek God. We don't even want to know what God's plan is for our life. And this looks very similar to the time of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, everybody in that time was an awful lot like Han Solo, who said, I take orders from just one person, me. See, in the time of Judges, God's plan was that they would look to him to be their heavenly king. And if people would look to God to be their heavenly king, they wouldn't have need of an earthly king. They would have everything they needed in order to conduct their lives. But the people weren't looking to God as their heavenly king. They only did whatever they wanted to do. They did what seemed best to them. They did what was right in their own eyes. An awful lot of the chapters in the book of Judges start with the phrase, when there was no king. And it's like the author is reminding us right before he tells a story of people doing really messed up things. He says, I'm going to tell you a bad story and I want you to know the reason. It's because people were not seeking God for their life. They were only doing what they wanted to do. And so Judges is filled with stories of civil war and idolatry and perversion and lawlessness. And the author of Judges wants us to know that if we only do what seems right in our own eyes, that evil and chaos will always be the result. Sometimes we don't seek God. The second example is that sometimes we reject God's plan. In this case, we know what God wants us to do. We're simply not interested in doing it. And we see this play out in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and boarded it to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew what God wanted him to do. He wanted him to go be his messenger to the people of Nineveh. Jonah simply had no interest in doing it, and so he went the opposite direction. And what's interesting is not only did he go the opposite direction, he paid money to do it. That scripture says Jonah paid the fare. Jonah was willing to do whatever it took to not follow God's plan for his life. And sometimes we, like Jonah, will go to extreme lengths to reject God's plan for our life. So sometimes we don't seek God's plan. Sometimes we reject God's plan. And sometimes we assume God's plan needs our help. This one kind of looks like obedience and we can convince ourselves that we're doing what God wants us to do, but we're doing it on our terms and in our own way because we think God needs a little help from us. And this too is not obedience. We see this play out in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." So God's plan for Abraham and Sarah, he said, I have a great place for you to live and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, you are going to have a huge family, kids, grandkids, etc. And so Abraham and Sarah, they initially signed on for the plan. They, They did what God wanted them to do. And so they started heading to the land that God said he was going to give them. And God said he was going to protect them along the way. Remember, he said he's going to curse anyone who curses them. They were going to be safe. But when they got to cities they hadn't been in before, they doubted that promise, and they assumed God's plan needed their help. So Abraham turns to Sarah and says, Hey, when we get into this city, let's not tell them we're husband and wife. Let's say we're brother and sister. Because if they think, if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me because they're going to want you as their wife. But if they think that you're my sister, then they're going to treat me really well in the hopes that I will give you to them. That's a really messed up plan for a healthy marriage. And it also is an act of disobedience. They weren't trusting in God's promise for their life. And then a little bit later, they still haven't had kids yet. And rather than waiting on God's timing, Sarah turns to Abraham this time and says, you know, maybe it wasn't supposed to be you and me. Maybe it's just supposed to be through you. And so why don't you sleep with my my servant Hagar and we can start a family that way? Abraham and Sarah sort of were following God's plan, but they assumed God's plan needed their help. And I think this looks like our lives a lot. Sometimes we don't seek God's plan. Sometimes we reject God's plan. And sometimes we assume God's plan needs our help. There aren't any examples in Scripture of people who tried to control their own situation and their own strength, who went their own way and had it turn out well. There are so many examples of the opposite. But we continue to make the same mistakes as the people who have gone before us. 
there's a little critter called a lemming. A lemming is a rodent and they're, they're herd creatures and they're migratory. And so when they travel, sometimes they get to a cliff's edge and the lead lemmings will accidentally fall off the edge of the cliff and they'll tumble into the ocean. And the lemmings that are following the lead lemmings, they see what happened to the lead lemmings. They could stop, but they don't. They just follow those lead lemmings right over the cliffside. They make the same mistake as the lemmings that have gone before them. And we're an awful lot like lemmings. We see the examples throughout Scripture of people who struggled to surrender to God. They wanted to control their own lives, and it didn't end well for them, and it's not going to end well for us. But we're like lemmings. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And when he says all these things, what he's talking about is the striving for financial stability, for security, for food, for clothing, for shelter. Because the people Jesus were addressing, that's what they were focusing on. That was what mattered to them more than anything. And they were trying to arrange their lives so they could get more of those things. And Jesus says, don't aim for those things. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, seek to learn what God is doing here on earth, what his plan is for you. And if you seek those things first, Jesus says, then you'll get all the things that you cared about. You'll get that security, the food, the clothing, and the shelter. But you won't get those things if you aim at them first and you make those things your life's mission. Well, I told you God's been teaching me how I can more fully trust him with my life. A little over a year ago, I had the opportunity to take a new role in the organization where I've been working for several years. And they told me that this would, be, this would be an important role for the company and they felt like it'd be a great opportunity for me. And at the time, I had been doing what I would describe as my dream job. I loved what I got to do. I got to wake up every day and do some of my favorite things and I felt like I was creating a lot of value for the company. So when they asked me to take on this new role, I wasn't interested and I, I said, no, thank you. And then they came and they asked me again. They said, this is, this is an important role. We think you're the right guy for the job. We'd really like you to consider it. And again, I thought, no, I think I'm better served. I better serve the company if I stay in this other role. And so, so I said no. Then they came back a third time. And as I was praying about it, I heard God say, trust me. Trust me. And in that moment, I knew I was supposed to take the other job. My wife, Corrine, calls it my reluctant promotion. So I was talking to the CEO of our organization, and she said, I, I really think this would be a great opportunity for you. I think it would stretch you. I think you'd serve us well. But I can tell that you want to take the safe route. And I said, I absolutely want to take the safe route, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the other job. And so she asked why, and I said, because I'm beginning to see that God is in this. And if that's where God wants me to be, I don't dare miss it. So I took the other job. And if I'm honest, I took the other job believing that if that's where God wanted me to be, that it was going to be amazing. That I would get into that job, I'd figure out right away how awesome it was. It'd be fun, it'd be fulfilling. I'd create all kinds of value. Maybe it would even open up doors to new opportunities. And that wasn't what I experienced. Not at first. At first, I felt a little bit lost. I missed my old teams and the people I was serving with. I didn't, I didn't really know where I fit on the new team. I wasn't sure how to create value. It just wasn't as fun or as fulfilling. 
And I was having lunch with a friend and I was talking to him about this and he says, what difference does it make if it's fun? You're being obedient. Be obedient first. And so I just kept trying to be obedient and, and bring the best I could every day to that job, trying to serve with excellence. And the really cool thing was over time, the job just kept getting better and better. I built deep relationships with this team. I figured out how I could, I could add value and be part of it. And now I'm at the point where I'm really proud of this team that I get to be part of. And I think we're doing really great and exciting things. And what I'm learning is that I can trust God's timing more than my timing, even if it doesn't immediately look the way I hoped. And that's not the only thing I'm learning. See, the job that I didn't want to leave, the job that I called my dream job, the responsibilities for that job now look different. It's doing important work, but the things that that job is focused on now are things I wouldn't have liked as much. If I had stayed in that job, I think I would have felt really frustrated and I would have regretted not taking this new opportunity. So I think God was protecting me from myself. And then not only that, but I've been able to have some conversations with people that I never would have been able to talk to if I had stayed in my old job. There's a young coworker I was talking to. He and his wife moved to a new city and they didn't know anybody their age. And so he asked me, how did you and Corrine develop relationships in Sioux Falls? And I was able to talk to him about the beauty of the local church, how you can get to know people who are gonna love you and care for you and provide for you. And you can be surrounded by people who have godly values. And I had another coworker who was going through a divorce and I was able to talk with him and try to help him understand that just because his marriage failed doesn't mean his life is a failure. And then I was talking to some other coworkers and they were talking about how so much of professional life is about trying to be likable so that people will like us back. And I was able to contrast that with the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that we don't have to be lovable in order for God to love us. He loves us first. And those are conversations I never would have had if I'd stayed in my other role. So I'm learning to trust God's timing. I'm learning that God sometimes protects me from myself. And I'm learning that sometimes God's plan for my life involves other people. Well, I told you we were going to save the anchor scripture for the end. And so I'm excited to share that with you now. It's one of my favorite verses. I fell in love with it in high school. And if you've been involved in the church for any length of time, you probably are deeply familiar with this verse. It's, it's a very well-known passage of scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The key verse there is verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. God, through the prophet of Isaiah, is painting a picture. He has three metaphors that represent three different seasons of life. And the first season he compares to soaring on wings like eagles. In other words, he's saying there will be times in your life that will feel like you're flying. 
When I was a kid, not every movie was a superhero movie. Most of the people in the movies just lived ordinary lives. And so if there was a character that could fly, it stood out. And so I was fascinated by Superman. And the idea of flying just captured my attention. And one night while I was sleeping, I had a dream that I could fly. This was so many years ago, but I remember it like it was last night. I climbed up the steps to the slide in the city park where I was living. And when I got to the top of the slide, I didn't slide down. I jumped off the top. And in this dream, I didn't fall to the ground. I soared. And I flew all over the town. And even in a dream, it was the most liberating experience I've ever felt. And every night after that, for a long time, I wanted to have that dream again because that feeling of flying is so amazing. And God says there can be seasons in your life that are so amazing, he compares it to flying. You're going to reach heights that you never dreamed possible. The troubles and the difficulties of earth are going to seem so far below you that they won't impact your day-to-day life at all. You're going to be moving forward at such a fast rate of progress, you'll surprise even yourself. Your relationships will be good. Your job is good. Your finances are good. You just won't believe how good this season of your life can be, and you're going to want to have it last forever. But it's not going to last forever because it's only one of the three seasons that God paints in this passage of Scripture. Sometimes we'll soar on wings like eagles, and sometimes we will run and not grow weary. The interesting thing about this metaphor is usually when we run, we grow weary. Running is hard work and we get tired. I can remember the first time that I experienced running and not growing weary. It was the summer before my junior year of high school and I was, I was training for cross country. And most days I would run four to five miles a day, but on one day it was different. It was a Sunday night in the summer. I put on my FM radio headphones and I tuned it to Casey Kasem and his America's Top 40 Countdown. And inspired by Casey Kasem, I headed out on my run. And when I got to my typical four to five miles, I still felt great. And so, so I kept going. Six miles, seven miles. I still felt great. I kept going. I went between nine and 10 miles that day. And when I finished, I had sweat pouring down my face. And I was grinning from ear to ear because I had experienced running without growing weary. And God says there can be seasons in our lives that are like running and not growing weary. It's different than flying. When we're running, we're at the same level as all the challenges that this world has that we will face. But they're not slowing us down. We're moving forward at a great pace. We're still accomplishing great things. Life feels really good. We're getting things done, but it requires effort. And we feel that effort, but that effort isn't exhausting us. We are not growing weary. And we wish that we could run and not grow weary for the rest of our lives. But that's not going to be the case. Because there's a third season coming. And this third season is very different than the first two. In this next season, you won't even remember what it's like to fly. You can't imagine running without growing weary. In this season, it's going to be so hard. The troubles of life are all around you. There's going to be heartache and hardship and loss at every turn. And the best that you can do in this season is to walk. 
You wish that you could do more than walk, but it's going to be a struggle to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And in fact, you're not sure you're going to be able to keep doing that. And God says in this season that you can have the assurance that you can walk and not faint. You can know that when you're in this hard season of life, that the troubles of the earth aren't going to grab you by the ankles and pull you down. You're not going to sink and you're not going to go under. Of all these promises, this one is the least exciting, but it's probably the most important because you want to know that life is not going to be too hard for you to keep going. And these are wonderful promises, but these promises aren't promised to everyone. There is a condition to these promises, and it's very, very important, and I don't want any of us to miss it. This promise is only true for those who hope in the Lord. Some translations say those who trust in the Lord. Other translations say those who wait on the Lord. This isn't a promise just for people who believe in God. This is a promise for people who trust God with their life and are doing life in God's strength and not their own. In fact, God says if you're trying to do life on your own strength, you will not make it. The verse right before it says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. No matter how strong you think you are, you will not be strong enough, God says. But if you trust God with your life, if you wait on God and his timing, you can have the assurance that no matter what, you will be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But you have to wait on God. Now, I want to be clear, waiting on God is not like waiting at the dentist. God's not running behind. He's not helping other people. You're not being asked to sit in the lobby in an uncomfortable chair until God has time to turn his direction to you. Waiting on God is an active waiting. It's based on our confidence in him and his promises. It's recognizing that God's timing is perfect. And it's acknowledging that many times God works on our heart the most while we're waiting. How do I trust God with my life? You recognize that your strength is limited. You acknowledge that God's ways are better. And then you rest in the assurance that when you walk through the hardest seasons of life, that it is God and not you who can keep you from fainting. Will you pray with me? God, we want to trust you. We know that your plans are better than our plans. And so, God, help us to trust you more and to rely on ourselves less. As we draw near to you, we pray that you will draw near to us. We surrender our lives to you today and tomorrow and into the future. But we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget tonight, the, the meeting at 5 o'clock related to mission expansion. I hope to see you there. Also, if you are in need of prayer, come forward. There will be people down here in the front that would love to pray with you. Thank you for coming. Go in peace to love and to serve the Lord.